0: Last week, we talked about um, what God gives you and how he blesses you. And this week, I, I want to end talking to you about what God gives you to give to others. Um, we're going to talk, as I said in the previous weeks, about tithes and offerings and learn together about the biblical principle. And the last thing I want people to catch is uh, we need your money. That, that's not what it's about, as we'll find out in a moment. What God is after is God is after your heart. And so many of you, two weeks ago, we gave out envelopes in the bulletin and there was some cash in there, whether it was a $1 bill, a $5 bill, a $10 bill. And we asked you to take that and to reinvest that into the kingdom of God and look for ways. Now, I know some people have said, I haven't done it yet. That's okay. You know, but, but I challenge you to say, Lord, where do you want me to use this, this money? Maybe he'll have you add to it. But the principle is this, when God gives you something and you bless that with others, then you move from just the ordinary to the extraordinary blessings that God wants to bring in your life. Reminded me of a story, and I've told this story before, but it makes my points. about a a father, a a father and son. A man was doing well in, in life, and he wanted to get his father a gift, and he always would try to bless his father with these gifts, and he liked to do the exotic, the unique, the just the crazy things. One year he bought his father an antique car. Another year he bought him some collectible items. This year he thought, I'm going to top that. I'm going to do something different. So he bought him a talking bird that could speak five languages and sing the Star Spangled Banner. An amazing bird. I mean, five languages, but here's the thing. The bird cost him 10 grand He said, I'm going to get this unique bird and give it to my dad. My dad is going to love this. He'll just think it's amazing. So he got the bird. He sent it to his father. And then he showed up a few days later. And he said, Dad, what did you think of the gift? He said, I love the gift. He said, wasn't it amazing? It was amazing. And the father said these words, it tasted great. (laughs) And with that, the son quickly realized the father looked at something with just ordinary eyes and didn't see the extraordinary that was there. And my point is simply this. Too often, I'm afraid that we can look at the gifts God gives us in the same way. We take it and treat it as ordinary when it's actually an extraordinary gift that God is giving to us. So this morning, as you came in, you got a bulletin and there's an outline that you can follow along with. You're going to see that I did a number of scriptures because I want to stick to the word of God, especially when it comes to talking about giving money, tithes, offerings. You don't want to hear what Jim has to say. You want to hear what Jesus has to say. And, and that should be every, every day, obviously, but specifically in this. And right in the middle, you'll see there's a, it's called a QR code. Um, I asked a couple weeks ago after I gave you the envelopes, I'd love to hear your testimony. I've got a few I'm going to share with you in just a moment. But some of you are like, well, I haven't given yet. Okay, great. Well, you can use your camera, scan that code, and it'll take you right to the email link so you can tell us what God did for you. Maybe you're the one that was giving. Maybe you're the one that received the blessing. I don't, I don't know, <clears throat> but I would like to. And I'd love to hear your testimonies and just what God is doing in your, in your heart and in your life. Paul in the Bible, he asked this rhetorical question uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. He said, what do you have that you did not, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. Everything that we have, we have because God gave it to us. Can we agree on that? Okay, everything you and I have, we have because God gave it to us. Uh, He he has blessed us. Um, So anything we give back to God is just returning to him a small portion of what, first of all, belongs to him and that he gave to us. Each week, I've made this point. I want to make sure it's Hammered into our, our hearts, and that's this little bullet in your outline. A steward is a manager, not an owner. We are to manage what God gives us, not own, possess. Now I we talked about this, so I'm not going to go in depth. But you know, I own my house, I own my car. Okay, you may have a title, you may have a deed, you may have some property, but you only have it because God allowed you to have it. What do you mean He allowed me to have? It? I'm the one that put in the hours. I'm the one that put in the work but he gave you the health to be able to go to work, to put the hours in at the job that you have so you can make what you make and buy what you buy. Ultimately, everything belongs to God. And he says that we're to manage it, not own it. He, uh, a, 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 a steward not only manages, but he oversees the property of another person. And, and God owns everything. God owns it all. Um, It says here in in Psalm chapter 24, and I'll repeat this one at the end of the message, but it recalibrates our thinking. The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. So he's just making it clear from the very beginning. God owns it all. Everything and everyone in it, uh, he, he owns. Now, Matthew chapter 25, we talked about a little bit last week, but Matthew 25 is when it talks about the parable of the talents. And this is where he says to one um, person, uh, uh, five talents were given, to another two, to another one. The one who had five talents, it says that he went out and used his talents and got five more talents and came back with 10. And he presented them to the master and the master said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? The one who had two talents went out and made four, uh, two more for a total of four talents and he brought them back to the master and the master said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, but to the one. He said, I knew you were a hard taskmaster, so I took it, I kept it, I hid it, I stored it. And and to him, he he said, you wicked and lazy servant. You could have at least put it in the bank and gotten some interest on this. The point of the, the parable was this. Don't take what God gives you and possess it or own it. Manage it, steward it. And watch what God will do when you take what He gives you and you give it back to Him by blessing others. It's through the kingdom of God. You see, far too many times we miss not only the point that our giving is simply a response to what God has already given us, but we also fail to make a vital connection between our attitude toward money and possessions in general and giving in particular. That these are just, these are the single biggest indicator, by the way of our spiritual temperature. Our not only ability to give, but our attitude in, in giving. You know, throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus turned to money more than any other subject when he wanted to teach us about the Christian life. Did you know that? When he taught us about spiritual principles, biblical principles, he, he often turned to money as an illustration because he knew that our hearts were so closely tied to it. Now, I do want to just, as a side note, not that I've noticed, but if you're here and you're saying, man, I've been gone for three months, five months, or maybe it's your first time visiting, and you're saying, we picked a bad Sunday to come, didn't we? No, you picked a good Sunday, because you're not hearing from a heart that says you need or have to give. But what I hope to accomplish by the end of the message today is that we would have learned about the principle of the tithe and offering, and that you would walk away feeling like, I can't help but want to give because I want the blessings of God in my life. And that challenge will be there for you, but it's between you and God. Uh, As as Pastor Lisa pointed out last week, we don't don't go looking for who tithes and who doesn't. We don't want to do that. We don't want to know that. That's part of us stewarding well what God has placed before us. But at the heart of it is the principle of having a good attitude that gives. And, And throughout the Gospels, Jesus would turn to illustrations about money. Someone once said this. They said, you know, I think the last part of us to get saved is usually our checkbook (laughs) because we feel like it's my money. It's my stuff. Well, my goal this week is to help us make a connection between the ministry of giving and our spiritual growth. Our our attitude towards giving can be much like the dashboard of a car. Uh, When you're driving down the road and an indicator light goes off, what is it doing? It's telling you, that there is a problem underneath the hood that you need to look at. And if you don't look at it, it can bring destruction down the road if you ignore this indicator. And if we have a bad attitude towards giving, that can be a, an indicator that something's not right under the hood of our hearts. And, and, and that's something that we need to examine. You see, when, when I, I, uh, my, my dad, I borrowed his car uh, I, for a season, about a year. I didn't have um, a vehicle And so I borrowed my dad's. He had this old Toyota Avalon. Now, it worked great, tires were great, but dad told me, he said, uh, Jim, he goes, only problem is, he said, there's like about five or six lights that light up on the dashboard. He said, they'll just blink at you. Go ahead and ignore them. And I'm like, Dad? He goes, no, 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 no. I had it checked out. He goes, there's something electrical going on. And it was, I mean, he wasn't being irresponsible, the car was fine. But that thing, lights were flashing everywhere. Here's the problem. Uh, Two problems. Number one, if there was a problem going on underneath the hood of the car, I wouldn't know it because of all these false signals that were going on. Uh, But number two, at nighttime when I drove down the road, I looked like I was a nightclub or something or a disco, you know? Boom, 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 these lights are going off. And these indicators, perfect timing, Dad. Uh, You know how to make an entrance, don't you? These Lights on the dashboard of the car, they're lighting up to indicate to you that something is going on deep, on a deeper level. When it comes to our attitude about giving and our attitude, we can like, I, I, I don't want to hear that. I, I don't want to do this. I, I, that's not me. Jesus didn't say that to me. I, I don't think, I, I, I've been taught whatever, and there's this resistance. All that is is just an indicator. God wants, he's trying to get to a place in your heart, and he's just asking if you'll trust him. That's all. That, that's what it gets to. I like to, uh, you see, when God turns the indicator of uh, light on on giving in our lives, it's not because, by the way, he's hurting for cash, okay? God is not hurting for cash. He is looking for something much deeper in our heart that you and I cannot afford to ignore. Uh, I call it cirrhosis of the giver, okay? Uh, Cirrhosis of the giver was first diagnosed around 34 AD with a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They did not want to give. They wanted to get, and it cost them their life. Here's, this, here's the thing about this, this acute condition of the heart. Those who have it uh, show symptoms that include sudden paralysis and the inability to give back to God, that which he's already blessed you with. Uh, here's the strange thing. Uh, strange, the strange symptom often disappears, though, while we're in the shopping store, the golf course, the restaurant, the coffee shop the bar. Now, I can say that in kind of a humorous kind of a way, but, but it's true. It, we don't mind giving when, it, when it's, it's something that we want. But then when God comes and says give, he's after something in our heart. Hey, let me just share with you why I say that. Here's just some basic figures that show the average Christian in America. Now, these statistics, by the way, are about two years old, okay? So they're not current. They, they may be better. They may be worse. I don't know. But basic figures show the average Christian in America gives only 2.5% back to the kingdom of God. Only 5% of us that are Christians tithe. 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income. Christians are giving at a 2.5% of their income. During the Great Depression years ago, they were giving at 3.3%. Uh, only 3 to 5% of Americans who give to their local church do so through regular tithing and when surveyed 17 at the time of the survey 17% of Americans state that they regularly tithe now you might say well, thanks. Are you trying to guilt me into tithing? No, I'm just trying to let you know where it's at because we as Christians are called to bring the tithe into the storehouse, as we'll find out in a moment. I told you last week, we get into Malachi because Malachi is the verse that calls us to tithe and it talks about protecting us from the devourer and opening up the windows of heaven. And what does that all mean? What, what are they trying to say? We're going to get to that. But we see these statistics and hopefully they, they help us to understand how we prioritize things in life. Um, and if we're going to learn this principle, we need to spend a little time in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, two of the most important chapters in the Bible on the subject of money and giving. And I share this today with you from a very humble heart, and I want you to know that this is a principle I had to learn. You all pretty much know I'm a pastor's kid, right? So sometimes people think, I don't know why, but sometimes they think that because I'm a pastor's kid, or they think because I grew up in a Christian home, I came out of the womb tithing, okay? I know these principles. You know, osmosis, because I lived with a a mom and dad who were pastors, somehow it seeped into my pores and it just, uh, I don't know why you don't get it, I get it, it just comes naturally. No, I did not tithe when I first started working. I started to tithe, I quit tithing and quickly started up again. You'll hear more about that in a moment. But you see, it was a principle I had to learn. I had to learn what tithing meant not because my dad preached it or our church believed that or, or taught that. I, I had to learn the principle of tithing and what that meant to me personally. Because when I learned it personally, then I was free to give because it wasn't mine anyway. And when I was free to give and I started giving from a grateful heart, he started to give me more. And when he gave me more, I could give more. But as soon as I started to keep the more that he gave, the, the more there was a void and an emptiness and there was struggles. There's, see, there's some principles here that we have to learn. Number one, write this down. When you and I are giving, we are giving in response to the grace that God has already given us. This is where it starts. God's already given us his grace and his mercy. And when you give financially, tithing, you're doing it in response to the grace that God's already given to you. He's already given to me. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 8. and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Now, I know that for some of you, when I read that, you just went, I don't understand a darn thing you just said, except a few, a few key words there. But here's what, what's happening the Macedonians could not wait to give because they understood that they belonged to the Lord. And whatever they had, they only had because of the grace of God. So when they had an opportunity to give, they gave it freely because. Because Christ first gave to us. See, they had their giving priorities in order because they first gave themselves to the Lord, and that involved their purses and wallets and checkbooks and calendars. Um, once you connect your giving with God's grace, then you give not because the preacher was begging or you, know, you felt guilty or you're trying to cut a deal with God. You give out of, the, uh, out of a, an overflow because of the goodness of God that's in your life. Because you connected it to his grace. Uh, Despite their poverty, the Macedonians here, despite their poverty and afflictions, the Macedonians, they experienced an abundance of joy. Anyone here want an abundance of joy? Like, that's all I, just give me that. I don't need the rest of it. Just give me some joy. Well, here's where they found it. And, And it was verse two. In great trial of affliction, notice the environment wasn't perfect doves were not descending out from the heavens, clouds were not parting necessarily, the sun wasn't shining. It says in their affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the richness of their liberality, their ability to give. In the Bible, giving is connected to our spiritual life. It's not merely about our money, Every time we talk about giving, you hear it preached in church, you tithe, you go on YouTube, find any kind of whatever, and they start speaking about giving. Sometimes our knee jerk is always about money, but it's not always about money. And that's why he wants to get to this principle. Uh, There's more of a connection that needs to be made because this is where spiritual growth occurs. Understanding how gracious God is to us is important because many people Instead of giving out of obedience or giving out of uh, uh, the sweet spot of our heart, what we tend to do, or, you know, people have done before, is we tend to give out of our leftovers, you know? And God God doesn't want leftovers. I'm not a big leftover fan. You know, we go out to eat and, and, and we bring food home. Sometimes she'll say, why do you even bring that food home? You're probably not going to eat it. And I'll think, I'm going to eat it. I'll show her and I'll stick it in the fridge. And six months later, it's still there. Um, God is wanting to get us to a place where when it comes to giving we understand it's a spiritual principle and because we're responding to the grace of God he says don't don't give from the 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 leftover that, that just insults him give him the first fruits the Bible says it let him be the first thing what what you see is people like the Macedonians responding to grace because they understood the God that they served uh, God is a giver Everything can be summed up right here. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, He what? He gave. You could. There's no necessarily period after that. End of the Bible. But that sums it up right there. For God so loved the world, that He gave. And when He asks us to give, all He's asking us to give is what He's already blessed us with. He says, "I want the attitude, the condition of the heart. I don't want. I don't." $1 bills, $5 bills, $10 bills, $100 bills, all that is is tissue. It's paper to him. He wants our heart. You see, and after laying the foundation for giving in God's grace, Paul then goes on from 2 Corinthians 8 to 2 Corinthians 9, and he urges the church in Corinth and says that they should prepare their hearts and get things ready before he arrives so that When he shows, they don't have to feel embarrassed at their lack of giving, that they've got their hearts prepared. Paul's traveling and teaching and talking to the people about, it's not about the money, it's about the condition of your heart. Then in verse 6, the apostle began another key discussion on the principle of generosity and, and giving. And to illustrate this, Paul used the example of a farmer, which his readers could readily identify as well as us here in rural Clinton, Iowa, Right? We know farming. You're either here and you're involved to some degree in farming, and if you're not, drive 10 minutes any direction and you're going to run into one. So we've got them around here. We understand this, but Paul says in Second Corinthians, uh, chapter nine, verse six. Is it up there, the bottom one? Let's read that one together. You ready? Go. But this I say: He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. See, this is an important principle. Farmers do not sit around refusing to plant the seed yet expect a harvest to show up. Do they? Not if you're a successful farmer. That's not what they're going to do. And that farmer, he could go to church, he could do his devotions, he could witness to people, but he's still not going to get a crop until he does what? Until he plants the seed. He has to plant the seed. There is something else a farmer won't do if he expects a harvest. He will not eat the seed that he should be planting in the ground. A farmer must start with the seed, not his need, if he has any hope of reaping a harvest. By the way, in this illustration, you and I, were all farmers, okay? He says, I'm going to give you the seed, and I'm asking you to plant that in sure faith and trust, placing your hope in God that I got your back. See, this is a basic fact and, and it's, it's critical when it comes to giving because some people approach the ministry of giving based on need instead of faith. And that's a problem. Well, what do you mean? Well, I can't afford to give to the Lord this week because I've got to pay bills. I can't afford to give to the Lord this week because I've got a vacation coming up. I can't afford to give to the Lord because I'm buying a new refrigerator next month. I can't afford to give to the Lord because fill in the blank. We can come up with, with, with anything. But I would argue this, that you and I can't not afford to prioritize giving to the kingdom of God. I, I, can't, I can't plant this seed even though it will yield a good crop because I'm hungry right now. You know, I'm not going to invest. No, I would say that it has to be priority number one. It's at this precise moment when you plant the seed and you give with a right heart, that's when faith kicks in. Faith kicks in and it takes place. When a farmer plants a seed instead of eating it, It is an act of faith, isn't it? Think about it. The farmer goes out, takes the seed, plants it in the ground, and then does what? Waits. Well, he doesn't only just wait. He nurtures. He cares. He tries to make sure the ground, you know, I'm obviously not a farmer, okay? But my point is simply this. The farmer doesn't make the corn grow. The farmer plants the seed and then trusts in nature to take care of the rest. He trusts, he places his faith in the fact that the sun is gonna rise in the morning, He places his faith that the clouds will show and rain will fall and that that will bring forth and yield a crop, yield a harvest. A farmer who plants is counting on nature to back him up. All he's doing as a farmer is positioning himself to see growth take place. But that comes only when you obey. A lot of faith goes into farming and a lot of faith goes into giving as well. Giving is an act of faith in our great God. And I've said this every week, but it, it, it bears repeating. Number two, we reap that which we sow. We reap that which we sow. The principle not only refers to our financial giving, but to our attitudes as well. Uh, that makes a big difference. If you're looking for love, how much love are you sowing? Um, if, you're, if you expect to receive a helping hand when you're in need, how are you doing at helping others? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He said, learn to be a person that gives. You see, and I got to put a little bullet in there. The thing you want to reap might just be the thing that you must be willing to plant. The thing you want to get might be the very thing you need to give. Because it's in the act of giving that it releases it from your hands. Galatians chapter 6 says, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will um, of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap, if we do not lose what? If we don't lose what? Heart. He's after our hearts. Yeah, he didn't say, if we do not lose our wallet, we don't lose our purse. If we, no, if we don't lose heart, that's what he's after. They sow the wrong thing, but yet they expect to reap something beautiful. A farmer isn't shocked at receiving corn after planting corn seed, but sometimes we shake our heads in disbelief at what we reap sometimes. Not remembering that we either didn't sow the right seed or good seed or the seed we sown maybe is because of wrong choices or poor choices that we made. You know, we reap what we sow. Not only that, but number three, write this down. We reap more than we sow. We reap more than we sow. Um, we're told in verses 7 through 11 of 2 Corinthians 9 that God will bless our giving by multiplying it uh, into a great harvest. Here's a verse I love. I, I, this is one that I always just was kind of a cheerful verse. It's one I've heard a lot, but didn't really take a lot of time to break down. Go ahead and throw that up there. Luke chapter 6, and let's read this one together. You ready? Go. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That last portion is a, uh, it's a dangerous portion. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That could be a blessing or a curse right there. Okay? If you're kind, it comes back to you. If you're a jerk, that comes back to you. If you give, it comes back to you. If you hoard... You're going to find yourself wanting in time of need and nobody's there to help you out. In other words, whatever it is that you're sowing, you're not only going to reap, but you're going to reap more of. Most people have this philosophy. I know I share it a lot, but it's the whole get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can, keep it, mine. We want to hoard it. It can be easy to adopt this kind of an attitude. And there's definitely nothing wrong with having things. I encourage everybody to have a savings account. I encourage everybody to take a portion of what it is that you get income wise and move it over to the savings account after you've tithed, you tithe first, then you pay your bills. Yes, you, you move it into savings. I'm not going to go into a financial seminar right now, but I'm just saying there's nothing wrong with having things and having things that you save. But are you recognizing it as the grace of God in your life, connecting that? And are you saying, God, how do you want me to use this? How can I be a blessing for the kingdom of God? When you have that kind of an attitude, you reap more of that. Number four, write this down. God's word tells us that we are to bring to him our tithes and offerings. Write in the word of God. He says, you are to bring in the tithes and offerings. Now here's what a tithe means. A tithe means 10th, okay? Now I know, you know maybe some people were curious what that, that word means. Some might say, well, I knew it. It just means 10th. So if you make a dollar, That's your paycheck. What's a tenth of a dollar? A dime. God's asking for a dime. And he's asking, technically, if I can just be real with you, he's asking for his dime. Because it's his anyway. So let's say that you get a bump up in pay. You're making ten dollars now. What's your tithe? A dollar. Oh, I can do that. Okay, now you're making a hundred dollars. What's a tenth? $10. I'm making $1,000. Now what's my tithe? $100. Now we get the math, but my point is simply this. Why is it way easier when he's only asking for a dime? But when he starts to bless me and I have to give him $100, it feels like I'm giving him way more. I'm not. I'm still giving him a dime. My dime just looks different now. Why does my dime look different? Because your blessings look different as well. God keeps opening up windows and blessing you that way. And all he wants to know along the way is, is, are you as faithful with the great bigger dime as you were with the smaller dime? You get what I'm saying with that? Can he trust you to still bless others when he wants to work through your life? Giving God the first 10% of your goods means you trust him to stretch the other 90% to take care of your needs that week, that month, however often it is that you get paid. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter three. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The tithe was prescribed in, in the Old Testament, but the offering was a voluntary donation above and beyond the tithe. Now, I'm going to say something that this is what I believe, okay? And, and, and that's all I'm going to say for that. The tithe lays it out there. It's 10% of your income. The offering is something that you give above and beyond. It is my belief, it is my belief, What's that word? Moral judgment. It is my conviction that I feel the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and it's what I see and read in the Word of God that I've not given an offering until I've given God my tithe. I give Him my tithe, and then anything above and beyond that is an offering unto the Lord. For too long, this is what I did, and this is what I believe, is, is that sometimes I'd throw 20 in the dollar plate, and I'd feel like, there, I gave God my offering. No, I just gave Him a portion of my tithe, right? And he says, bring the first fruits, that 10%, into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? We'll find out more in just a moment, but it's where you're spiritually fed. The church that feeds you, or, or, or what have you. You bring that into the storehouse. And we find in Malachi chapter 3, this is the verse, that everyone is like, I want to hear more about this and, and understand it more. Malachi 3, this is where God, through the prophet, rebukes his people for their greed and neglect. Okay, that's why this verse came about because they, they were getting greedy and they weren't uh, stewarding well what God gave to them. <clears throat> Malachi chapter three, uh, this starts in verse eight. And um, it says this, will man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions or offerings is another word. You are cursed with the cursed, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore, uh, and thereby put me to the test, he says. Let me." Just, I said this last week. Did you ever grow up in a home where you heard it said, or you were the one that said, don't test me. Don't try me. You know, keep it up. Don't push my buttons, you know. Well, this is the one time when God says, no, go ahead. Test me. He says, This is the living word of God, by the way. It wasn't written then and it meant something then. It means nothing now. It means it right now. He says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear," says the Lord of Hosts. This is this is important. Uh, verse eight says, will, man, "Will a man rob God?" What's up with that? Well, the idea with that or behind that was this: God has blessed you with everything that you have. Have you have you fine tuned your heart and lined it up with grace once again to remember all you have came from God anyway. So don't rob him. You know, do you think you're greater than God? Uh, It might be as if God was saying, did you think I would not notice that i blessed you, but you've not functioned within that, uh, you know, the obedience of the tithe. And in Malachi 3.9, he says, he's speaking to that specific group of people. He said, you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me. Now the idea is that when we hold back from God for whatever reason we can come up with, we're holding back not just from God, but from all the potential blessings that God wants to bring into our lives that can now not come because we're not responding to the tithe. He says uh, uses this word curse. In some translations, it says cloud of displeasure. <laughs> I like the way that, that that's worded because we watch a lot of TV as Americans, I, I think, and when we hear the word curse, what we think of is voodoo dolls, magic spells. but That's not what God means here. His curse is a cloud of displeasure. When you don't, given the tithe, there's this cloud of displeasure. That might, be, that, that might look like this. What do you mean cloud of displeasure? Maybe, just maybe, it could look like this. I've got a new house, but I really don't have a home because there's just some displeasure that's going on in the middle of all this. I got the promotion, and, and, and this is amazing, and everything feels good on the outside, but inside there's this empty void. That just continues to remain there. You see, we can literally upgrade our lives at the same time we're downgrading the kingdom of God in our life. And that's why he says, let it be your first fruit. Bring it in to the storehouse. Now let me be clear about this. I'm not making a case that if you have a lot of stuff, um, you're either blessed or cursed. That's not what I'm getting at. And just because you got the promotion or just because you got more money doesn't mean that God is rewarding you, you know, even if you didn't tithe. You know. The issue is this. What are you doing with what God has given you? How are you stewarding that? And are you willing to give back? Uh, here's what I think a curse is when it talks about it biblically. He said that you, you've been cursed with a curse. Here's what it would look like. A curse would be having stuff without the ability to enjoy it. Think about that. New boat, new car, new motorcycle, new camper. Still not happy, so I'm going to buy more. I'm going to get more decorations. I'm going to remodel the house. Still not happy, not completely on the inside. Okay, so now I'm going to upgrade my garage. I'm going to, you know, and we keep doing that, buying more, looking for that happiness in all the wrong places. Well, pastor, then how do you know when something is from God? That's a good question, and I'm glad you asked it, because here's the answer. The answer is, is he adds no sorrow to it. When God blesses you, and you are giving back into him, and he continues to bless you, you know it's God because he adds no sorrow to it. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Let's read that one together. Ready? Go. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Right out of the word of God. You may say, I, I want to have God's blessings, then how, how do I get it? Malachi 3.10. This is the verse that talks about it. He says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord. Um, see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it, which blows my mind because apparently God has this amazing storage shed up there with all the blessings for me that I could receive if I would just be somebody who would change his heart and have the right attitude and give. Let me take you back to my, the younger Jim, okay? The younger Jim, as I said, didn't understand the principle of tithing just because he was born into a Christian home. I got a job. I, I loved to work. I had a good work ethic. I think I still have a good work ethic. Uh, I got a job at 16 and I made money. My motive was is I wanted money so I could go do whatever I wanted to do with all of my friends. Not necessarily anyth- anything wrong with that, necessarily. Uh, moving on. And, uh, and I would keep a job and I would work. And, and I remember I knew what a tithe was, but I, I didn't do it. And... Um, It wasn't until Lisa and I uh, were married, somewhere in there, somewhere in there, and uh, maybe a little before, but I started tithing, and I got into a rhythm, because I just knew it was the right thing to do. You know, I heard it enough, but the only reason I did it is because I knew it was the right thing to do. I mean, it didn't trip my trigger. It didn't make me excited. I just knew that that was the right thing to do as a Christian, and I did it for a while, but then I thought, what is this benefiting me? I really don't see the benefits of this, so I stopped, I'm like, God doesn't really need my money, does he? No, no, he wants my heart. How about this? I got it all figured out. You ever figure things out for God? I helped him out. I said, God, I'll give you my heart. Just let me keep my cash. I mean, we're, we're, we're good, right? He didn't say a word. Sometimes silence is the worst. But I did notice this when I stopped giving. All of a sudden, there was things in my life that were just becoming difficult once again. And uh, I started to realize just how much he protected me, watched out for me. I realized how there was a lot of joy that I had. I didn't have a lot of things at that age, but I did have joy. And, and I I'd lost that. I'd gotten away from that. I'd gotten away from God too, but that wasn't a principle. And I remember sitting down with Lisa and I said, you know, maybe we need to start doing this again, to which she shook her head, you know, agreed. And we started this principle once again. And from the moment we started, I could just sense the hand of God on my life. Um, you might be a little afraid. Like, I, 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 like we've said, I can't remember if I said it this service or last service, so if I'm repeating it, forgive me. But Lisa and I don't know who the tithers are. We don't know who's tithing because we don't want it to ever, we want to steward well this church and the people that, that, that He's placed here. So it's not about favoritism or anything, but I know this. I know what it was like to have that challenge, and I was afraid. If you're afraid, to give. I don't know if you are or not giving. But if you're afraid to do that, here he says, test me. Test me now. You can do it right now. And watch how I will bless you. Don't wait till you paid your bills. Don't wait till you've done the groceries. Don't wait till you've been doing the shopping. He says, "You do give them your first fruits. When we started doing this and tithing, we sat down and we were writing the bills out. And, and I decided to pay all the bills and we, uh, we paid the bills. And when I say I, I always mean we. I just want to make sure I clarified that. But I, I saved the tithe till the end. And when it came to the tithe, that was a lot harder to write that check. I put my hand down. I'm like, come move my arm. <laughs> because I paid all the bills and I'm seeing all the money I feel like I don't have, right? But yet all the money I do have, is it came from God anyway. And so I had to flip it around. I said, hey, you know what we should do? We should pay the tithe first and then pay the bills. What a difference that made in our heart and in our attitude when you did it the way he prescribed bring in the first fruits and it changed everything in our lives a blessing by the way is more than just having stuff God wants to bless you and it's not just about having stuff where you can say oh good if I tie that means you know I get double the amount of junk in my home no that's not what it's about it's not about getting more necessarily though that can be a part of it but it's about an attitude of the heart You know, there's some people out there that have a theology where they teach this whole name it and claim it kind of a thing or blab it and grab it or demand from God what you need from God. But God doesn't work that way. It's not in His Word. It's not the way He functions. He never promised that. And I'd love to be able to tell you today that if you start giving to God the way that He prescribes, then you will have a new car by next week. You will have a new house by next month. I'd love to tell you that if If you give faithfully, then you'll never have problems again. But I can't make you that promise. And anyone that thinks they can are mistaken. They obviously haven't read the word of God because he told us in this world, right? You will have trials. You will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. But be of good cheer. What I can tell you is this, that God will give you a blessing and the capacity to enjoy it, to benefit from it and grow through what God gives you because a blessing is the presence of God in the midst of whatever it is that he's provided. There's a story of a poor Christian. Just He was a, in a humble cottage. He had bread. He had water. And he exclaimed, all this in Christ too. You see, he had the right heart. That's a blessing. When you and I are faithful to God, He tells the devourer, by the way, to leave you alone. Think about that. The enemy's showing up, he's creeping up on your back, and God steps in and says, "Uh uh-uh, not going to happen. Not going to happen. He says, I will protect you from the devourer, and I will open up the windows of heaven into you. But we've got to grasp this last point, and that's this. The most important thing about giving is our attitude. It's our attitude. You, do you uh, ever work with any people that give you attitude? Do you live with them? No, don't look at them right now. I'm just, I'm, I'm setting you up for failure right there. God does have expectations of his people, his children, but he is more interested in the attitude of your heart than almost anything else. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, so let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. Now, if the only way we'll give is when someone twists our arm behind our back and makes us feel guilty, God says he'd just rather we soon as not, you know, just don't even give it if you're going to be all unhappy about it, because he's more concerned with the attitude of the giver. Think about it. You would be too. Let's say it's your birthday, okay? Okay. It's your birthday, you're having a birthday party, you invite your friends over, and um, one of your friends comes in with a gift and goes, here, take it. And they walk away from you. Didn't want to get it anyway, but my wife told me I had to. How are you going to feel about not only that gift, but the giver of that gift? How are you going to feel about that? They're not going to be very, your friend, very much longer probably, you know, because you're like, dude, I don't care about the gift, why are you treating me this way? Why are you acting this way? You see, with that kind of an attitude, it takes the joy right out of the gift. It takes it right out of the gift. You and I can be joyful in our giving when we understand that the only reason we have anything in the first place to give is because God gave it to us. He gave it to us. Psalms 24, I started with it. We'll wrap it up there, start wrapping it up here. The earth, it's the Lord's. In all of its fullness... The world and those who dwell there within. When we understand that God is the source of everything, um, you won't have any trouble being a cheerful giver as you give to Him. And the more that you grow in grace, the more cheerful you will be in, in your giving. God says that when we see a cheerful giver, He opens the floodgates of grace and He lets it flow unhindered. He wants to open up those avenues of blessing in your life unhindered. I, I would be willing to bet that if all of us said, I want to receive those blessings unhindered, then he says give. But don't let it be from a heart that says kind of a, kind of a Scrooge McDuck kind of thing. You know, oh man, I got to give. You know, let it be from a cheerful heart who says, I get to give. I don't have to give. I get to give. I, I want to give because I know that I'm playing into the kingdom of God. That's why we say it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's not some slogan. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. When all you do is receive, all you get is what you get. But when you give, you open a channel of grace that flows to and through you to bless not only you, but to bless others around you. God's grace is always bigger than your gift, by the way. Farmers, isn't that true? You don't even really need to be a farmer, but you, just, you understand this principle. A farmer plants a corn seed. A corn seed. What does he reap? from that seed that's been planted. One kernel of corn? No. Two, five, ten. A year of corn? Nope. A whole stalk filled with corn. Giving is a spiritual act. And it's a key ingredient in our, our spiritual life, our spiritual growth. And Jesus Christ deserves our best. He deserves our gifts. But he doesn't want us to give just because of what it does for us. He wants our heart and our attitude to be in the right place. See, the important thing is that what it does for you and me in terms of our spiritual growth, Paul expressed it when he thanked the Philippians for their gifts. He said this, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Here's the amazing thing, and we'll close with this. The amazing thing about the ministry of biblical giving is that the primary beneficiary is not the receiver, but it's the giver. The one who's blessed, oh yeah, the one who receives a the gift, they're blessed. But the one with the right heart that gives because it's tied to grace, they're the ones that receive the greatest blessing of all because they're laying up eternal treasures in heaven with every gift that they give. So here's my challenge to us as a church. Again, this isn't about getting money. or It's about having the right heart. If you tithe, Stay encouraged with the way that you give. If you don't, put God to the test. See what he'll do. But whatever you choose, it's between you and God, not us. But I want us to hear the heart of God so that we can have that joy in our life that cannot be taken away from us because we're benefiting the kingdom of God and not just the kingdom of self in Jesus' name. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask you that, by, that you would strengthen us in our spirit. And Lord God, as we've talked today and we've learned about giving, Lord, we know that you are more concerned about our heart than anything else. And so Jesus, forgive us for the times when we've made it about us and we've missed the greater thing. Jesus, I thank you that as we respond in obedience, that Lord, you're going to do a fresh new thing in our hearts. So we receive that challenge today in Jesus' name. Amen.